Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm trusting in what you say. Today is the day. Today is the day. Friends, today is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will be glad in it. It is Monday morning, August the 19th, 2019. Um, and I feel obligated to let my producer, Paul, know it's not 919, it's 819. And so my I'm just getting sheet, ahead of myself. I know. That's, that's just, you know. <laughs> my notes this morning say it's 91919, and it's not quite. But anyway, uh, we're ahead of ourselves, but let us not get ahead of the Lord, right? Like, I think that's... Uh, it's okay to be ahead of yourself a little bit. Not okay to be one step behind the Lord or one step ahead of him. That's not where we want to be. We want to be walking step by step with the Lord today in the spirit of the living God. So that's my encouragement to each and every one of us as we seek to walk out our faith into the world that God so loves. If I sound a little hyped up this morning, it's because um, I, although I always get up in what you would absolutely consider early, I got up a little bit earlier today. Uh, to make my family something that have come to be known in our household as redemption muffins, because um, so yesterday, as it as as day drew drew into evening, we started processing or started processing again. I don't know the next wave of apples from our orchard, and uh, and so uh, we we had the you know we slice a bunch and we put them in the dehydrator and then we go we begin the process of pressing apples in this more than 100 year old apple press that we have salvaged and Jim is very dutifully replacing the pieces of as we smash them um and so uh last night the four of us gathered in the kitchen and we're we I don't know we had like I don't know 10 bushels of apples or some crazy amount um by the way out of which you you yield like four and a half gallons of cider and you're saying to yourself um that is a really poor use of your time energy and uh, you know the value of your time is greater than four and a half gallons of cider after you know the labor of four individuals over hours of time and i say yes but what kids learn from this and what you learn about your family and the experience of doing it and then so so i'm getting to the redemption muffins i promise so uh, so we, we're pressing the cider, and as you press the cider, you, you end up with a lot of what we would call the flesh of the apple, right? You've pressed out the juice, but you still have, you still have the skin and you still have the flesh, although it doesn't have any juice in it anymore, or not very much. And so, but we feel bad about throwing all that away, and you can only feed so much of it to your chickens because nobody can eat that much apple. And so uh, we've been trying to figure out, like, how are we going to redeem all of this? And you know, we could feed the deer in the woods, but that just lures them toward the place where, you know, they would give up their lives later in the year when it becomes their season. Um, and so we decided that what we would do is we would create a recipe that, well, I would create a recipe. I would enter into the chemistry, the food science experiment of how to redeem all of this, um, <clears throat> what what looks like refuse that's created from the process of pressing apples. And so I have created what we now call the redemption muffin and it's to redeem all of this really delicious stuff. And so it was too late last night when we finally got done and cleaned everything up for me to actually make the muffins. And so 
I got up a little bit early this morning and made redemption muffins. And so I have all of that incredible energy in me right now to share with you. So there you go. Uh, let be let today be a day the Lord redeems in your life. In Even if you feel smushed, even if you feel like all the juices run out of you, right? God can still use you. So let him... Uh, refresh you this morning by pouring his Holy Spirit into you in a new way um, and sending you out into the world as a redemptive influence. Uh, Just just that's who we are, and that's what we get to do, and that is so exciting. All right, next up, Nick Pitts. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. He writes something called TheBriefing.net. I am going to ask him about all kinds of things um, in the news you can use category, but I'm also going to discuss with him what I consider an abomination of the season, and that is something called special edition pumpkin spice spam. <laughs> that is something we did not need. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Nick Pitts is uh, one of my favorite conversation partners around uh, across just a range of issues. He's at the Institute for Global Engagement in Dallas. You can track what he's doing at thebriefing.net. So that's thebriefing.net. You can also follow him on Twitter at jnickpitts. Nick, my friend, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Great to be with you. We uh, we are going to deal with the abomination of limited edition pumpkin spice spam uh, (laughs) in just a few minutes. But um, you got up early this morning, too. Because every morning uh, during the week, you put together the, a new briefing for us so that we sort of know what headlines are going to be leading the conversations in the culture and then how, as Christians, we are to think and engage on those topics. And so I just want to share with people, like, leading, leading what you have today on thebriefing.net is actually this, um, I think I, I would, gosh, comforting, inspiring, terrifying news that there might have been, there would have been three more mass shootings uh, if U.S. authorities hadn't stopped. Uh, oh goodness, yeah. Yeah, some, some potential uh, mass shooter. So tell us, bring us up to speed on this story and then help us as Christians think about it. Yeah, one of the, one of the interesting things that happens and tragic things that happens, obviously, is we always find out about these shootings after they happened. And we very rarely hear about authorities or neighbors that have done great efforts to prevent these shootings from happening. But uh, to this morning, what CNN just did a phenomenal job of reporting is that there were three shootings that were stopped by officials, but those officials were only able to stop it because of neighbors. So what's interesting is that it happened everywhere from Connecticut down to Florida. There were three individuals that had posted things and had demonstrated activity that would be unbecoming and that kind of yielded were tip signs that they were about to enact mass tragedies. And so report, uh, neighbors just reported these things. But when you look at further into the research, you realize that the neighborhood has a very significant role to play. The neighbor has a very pivotal role in kind of continuing to keep their community safe. And so I started looking around through some research this morning and found that out of the University of Michigan, they found that individuals that are planting flowers within their communities and building benches within their neighborhoods has an ability to reduce violence within the neighborhood. There was a Yale study that found the more closely knit people reported their neighborhood to be, the less exposure to violence they had. Uh, This is known as collective efficacy. When we're looking out for one another's needs and wanting to be good neighbors, not only do we build 
build strong ties, but we also keep violence from springing up within. And so one of the, there's a variety of ways that we can address some of these mass shootings that continue to populate and plague the American experiment. But one thing that we can do is knowing your neighbor. And the biblical narrative has always indicated this to be the case, as God has called us to love and be a good neighbor because he is our great neighbor. So one of the things that stood out to me um and Nick, again, thank you for the way you aggregate things at thebriefing.net and help us think through them, um, because otherwise I think we just we read the news and we we don't we don't dwell in it long enough yeah. to sort of see the themes and recognize the consequence of what's in front of us. And so mm-hmm. as I, um, you know, as I read thebriefing.net this morning and I just read these poll quotes that you drew out of this article, um, one of the things that stands out to me is. This is um, the the trouble that these very young men, they happen to all be men and they all happen yeah. to be young, 20, uh, 22, um, 21, like, right, these are young men in America. Yeah. It's nationwide. One, one of these is in Connecticut. One is in Florida. One is in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, there would have been shootings in mass shootings in these communities had someone not been close enough to these individuals to intervene or at least be paying attention to what they were doing on social media. And it it just highlighted again for me. I know that you've you have um, you've tilled the soil before in the briefing, but it reminded me that man, we have a real crisis among young yeah. men in this country. Oh yeah. So we can go two steps. We'll do this in two steps. One, we can look at uh, what's springing up and and what we're seeing with these three young men specifically, knowing very little about them, but knowing enough to be able to reach some type of hypothesis is what uh, C.S. Lewis would call, these are men without chess. Mm-hmm. Um, these are individuals that don't have values, that haven't identified a particular purpose in life. And when they don't have something to stand up for, they're full for anything. And one of the things they're falling for is the idea that they have to commit, commit violence to be known, to be meaningful, to be individuals that have merit and to be able to have worth. And that that's a tragic fallacy that they've fallen into, these individuals that lack a purpose and meaning. And so there's that one piece. The second piece this points to is the reality that a common theme among these type of men is that they're lonely individuals. They're not participating and they're not bowling together. They're not joining Boy Scouts. These are individuals that aren't at churches. They lack that meaning and that moral compass. And when you don't have that moral compass, it really inhibits just some of these detrimental allurements uh, to be able to spring into place, which is the allure of fame that comes from mass shootings. And these and these men and countless others before them have fallen into this. And it really is a call for the church to be the church, to point people to the creator of the world, the one that holds all things together and has given us a divine purpose and meaning and a sacred value that doesn't require us to, to kill other individuals, but but commands us to love them as Christ loved his church. Hmm. All right. If you are feeling disconnected uh, right now, if you are feeling like nobody knows you, nobody sees you, nobody cares about you, you don't have um, any any sense of belonging or purpose. Nick and I want to say none of that is true. All of those are lies of the enemy. Um, And we want you to hear today um, that you are a person divinely created by God in his image on purpose and for a purpose. God sees you. He is the God who sees. God loves you. Um, And if you will allow us, the people of Christ will draw near to you today um, in in some kind of 
of encounter that you do not yet expect. And so we want you to be on the lookout um, for those divine appointments that God has set. And I want every Christian who's listening to feel the mandate in that. You are sent today as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven to be on the lookout for people who are disconnected, lonely, um, do not have a sense of identity or purpose, because that's the redemption that God is offering through us in Christ today by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, When we come back, Nick and I are going to turn our attention to what happened in Portland over the weekend. And then, yes, as promised, we're going to talk about spam. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Returning to my conversation with Nick Pitts, you can find him at thebriefing.net, and you can sign up for the daily briefing there. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter at jnickpitts. Um, Nick, let's uh, let's turn our attention here for a moment to Portland. For people who have not yet heard, 13 people were arrested, or at least 13, in Portland, Oregon over the weekend. There were um, there were protests and counter protests. Uh, give us your give us your take on what happened, and then help us as Christians think about it. Yeah, so Portland has become this city that really uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler has allowed just the city to become a foment of just political unrest right now. You've got two groups, two extremist groups, one representing the far right, one representing the far left, that really see this as just a battleground for some strange reason. Uh, Kind of coming from the far left, which has really been the initiator of some of these violent acts and protests, is a group known as Antifa. Antifa are, it's kind of a short acronym for anti-fascist. And this is a group that continues to try to wield their power and demonstrate um, their uh, authority and dominion over the city. They shut down roads. They even had to shut down certain Starbucks within the city because of the violence. And then coming on the far right is a group known as the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys largely are reacting to the anti-fascist, to this anti-FIFA group. Our Antifa group, what they're trying to do essentially is just trying to um, kind of two. If your mother said two wrongs don't make a right, the Proud Boys have disregarded that advice and decided that they're going to try to combat this anti-fascist group and try to put them into line. And really, it kind of boils down to two essential components of what's really started and happening here. There's two underlying ideological pieces. One is this idea of concept creep. The other is the idea that uh, disagreement uh, warrants violence. And so the idea of concept creep is this uh, kind of the prime example is we just make words a lot bigger than what they were originally intended to mean. There used to be a day that trauma was meant as something that something you firsthand experienced and was a significant uh, injury that you experienced that had both physical and mental damage. Well, now we're living in a day in which something can be traumatic is if you're exposed to some image that caught that disturbs your equilibrium of your emotions. And so they expanded that concept of trauma to really encompass a variety of things, no longer having a very small definition of it. So there's there's the concept creep one. And then two is the idea that disagreement warrants violence. Uh, this is the idea that your sticks and stones can not only hurt your bones, but it can break your spirit. Therefore, you have to use sticks and stones to keep the person from using their words to do harm to you. And so anti-fascists believe 
there's certain words that are utilized. There's certain concepts that are deployed that trigger and that are harmful to the American experiment. Therefore, they must be shut down. And so they're using violent measures uh, to really limit and silence a speech that they would consider unbecoming of the American experiment. And so you've got anti-fascists representing the far left. You've got Proud Boys representing the far right. And what we know to be true is that these, this is a very small minority of the American populace. Studies indicate that it's anywhere from about 14 percent, 8 percent that's represented on the right, 6 percent on the or 8 percent on the left, 6 percent on the right. But really, we're just seeing all this boil in Portland, and it's just very detrimental to what's uh, to what the very core of America is, which is the ability to be able to pursue after these common shared objectives and to disagree in a civil manner. Um, I, I've been struck over the last 11 weeks, as I know you have, by what's going on in Hong Kong. And I've, I've been mm-hmm. trying to imagine this this past weekend as 1.7 million people in the city of Hong Kong. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, in Hong Kong, but particularly in. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just to to imagine 1.7 million Americans on the streets um, protesting something like, right, that's staggering. And it's really hard to imagine how 1.7 million Americans could have taken to the streets and there not been violence. And, 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 and so, even, I, it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So like even in Hong Kong, one of the beautiful things that was happening was they were protesting. And then when they were retreating from their protest, they were playing the Star Spangled Banner that many of them had American flags that they were waving in the air as they left these protests and as they were protesting. A symbol of what the U.S. is and the, and the goodness of the U.S. is that we can voice our disagreements but still live within unity of one another. But what's happening in Portland is the exact opposite of what the the premise of the American experiment is, of this ability to raise your voice and to show disagreement, but not have to resort to violence. We were not a country that was uh, that tried to find an ideal, but rather we were a country that were built on ideals. And one of those ideals is the ability to freely utilize your speech in order that you might be able to pursue after that happiness that you have. But you have individuals that are trying to silence that, which is just a striking. It's, it's striking and it's antithetical to the American experiment. Okay, striking and antithetical to what I think anyone should be doing is um, advertising, drinking, or eating anything pumpkin spice prior to Labor Day. (laughs) And so there's like this pumpkin spice craze right now. And apparently, uh, in addition to Starbucks, who I think is doing it appropriately and waiting until after Labor Day to launch their... uh, Oh, see, August the 27th. I don't think think it is. They're not waiting. What is wrong with them? Oh. You know, it's it's shocking. So we were talking earlier. Like, so we've got um, Dunkin' Donuts, which is releasing their pumpkin spice flavoring next week. Starbucks in two weeks. Uh, oh, this week. And then, my goodness, you've got spam that's jumping out ahead of everybody, <laughs> as is often the case. Spam is always the leading. It's always leading, leading the way. Leading. The leading the way. <laughs> leading the way. But it I, kind of, I feel it, I feel confident somebody who's listening is saying, you know what? That pumpkin spice spam would taste really good with Carmen's Redemption Apple Muffins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might be a nice little protein addition. Uh, but, you know, I call, I call this the IHOB effect. So you remember, I'm sure your audience remembers about six months ago, probably over a year ago, you had International House of Pancakes, IHOP, 
decided that they would do this PR stunt, that they would rename themselves IHOP, International House of Burgers, in an effort to try to brand, raise brand awareness. And, and really, uh, it's just a reminder that right now, the average American today, you will be exposed to 5,000 advertisements today. You will, uh, you will have to wade through a litany of advertisements and hopefully in the messages they're trying to send you to better your life. And in this 5,000 advertisement world, you've got companies from Spam to Starbucks to Dunkin' Donuts that are trying to appeal to that, that, that sense of fall in the, even in the height of summer right now. I was saying uh, to Paul, your producer, it's like 95 degrees here right now. And the last <laughs> thing that I want is a, a, a sugary hot drink right now. But nevertheless, there's just this desire to try to get on top of those 5,000. So here we are. All right, so let's as Christians, uh, you know, let's take advantage of acronyms like IHOP and let's be the people who are like the International House of Prayer. Join mm-hmm. our friends in prayer across the country and around the world today. Nick, thank you so much for the joy you bring us uh, and thank you for all that you're doing. Folks can visit Nick at thebriefing.net. You can sign up, you can get this kind of news you can use every single day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So you and I as Christians uh, in in this culture here in the vast freedoms of the United States of America and uh, and Canada, we find ourselves um, like wanting to be counted. Like we want our, you know, we want to be counted. We want to stand up in our uh, in our communities and we want to be counted as Christians. But let me let me ask that question of you today. Um, If you lived in communist China, how would you feel about the government starting to count the Christians uh, through all kinds of uh, artificial intelligence, facial recognition software. Um, And then they're not only going to count you, but after they've counted you, they're going to look at that first layer of people around you. They're going to look at your coworkers. They're going to look at your family. Uh, they're going to look. They're going to look at your kids. They're going to look at other people who you um, engage and uh, and share meals with, and they're going to count those people too. Now, this is a this is actually what's going on in China, and so it raises a whole other layer of concern for ministries operating in that very closed communist country. And so, up next, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News is going to tell us how those how those ministries are responding. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. I can't remember the last time I made a purchase with cash. Unless I'm buying a drink from a vending machine, I usually use a credit card. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Credit cards are so convenient, but when you swipe a card, it's much easier to overspend and lose track of your purchases. You don't see that stack of cash getting shorter and shorter. Whether you use credit cards or not, it's good to be clear about where your money is going. One idea to help you track your finances is to create three buckets in your bank account. One for saving, one for spending, and one for giving. Then, make intentional decisions about what goes into each of these buckets based on your values and what's important to you. And set up some time with a financial professional. They'll be able to help guide you so you can make short-term and long-term financial decisions in each category. Money, like all you have, is a gift from God. Make sure you're using it wisely so you can live a life of contentment, confidence, and generosity. To boldly go where no one has gone before. 
Talking now with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find out everything that we're talking about today at mnnonline.org, except for the very first thing we're going to talk about, and that is what I'm just going to put in the category of personal inspiration. So, uh, Ruth, first of all, welcome back, and then tell us what you did over the weekend and why I am listing it as a story of personal inspiration for all of us. Well, I'm a master sprinter, and I had my last track meet of this season uh, on Sunday and took gold medals in the 100 and 200 meters for women 50 to 54. Okay, so let's just, okay, so it's it's a lot for us to say, hey, I'm I'm in a running club. You're in a running club called Living Living Waters, is that correct? Living well, Water? I wear is that your team? Jersey. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a racing jersey for Team Living Water, which is a ministry that works with the church and provides clean water for villages that don't have access to it. Oh, I love that. All right. And so, um, and yesterday it was literally like a, like a, like a run in the park, right? It was beautiful and delightful outside. No, tell us what, what, what kind of um, adversities did you face yesterday in the race? Well, in the beginning of the meet, it was just boiling hot. And then later on, as the other events were starting to unfold, a thunderstorm rolled in and we started getting headwinds of 8 to 10 miles an hour. It doesn't sound like a lot unless you're trying to run down the backstretch into that wind and people were getting blown out of their lanes. So, yeah, that was nobody had fast times, but, you know, it was interesting. And then we all had to clear the field because the lightning was coming. <laughs> All right. So I just want to use that today as a uh, as an encouragement. If you feel like you're getting blown out of your lane, if you feel like you are running into a headwind today, if you feel like, you know, the lightning is is encroaching upon you, we still want you as Christians to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. We still want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, uh, and let us not grow weary or lose heart. So, Ruth Kramer, thank you for that personal uh, witness and testimony this morning. Let's turn our attention to our brothers and sisters um, in China. I know I, I know that you and I want to talk about um, our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong and their witness in the midst of these protests, but I, I shared with folks before you came on that we were going to talk about how China is counting its Christians. So let's start with China and then move to Hong Kong. Sure. Um, well, the situation is that we've we've had some religious uh, regulations that have been in place already, and then they've just been actually enforcing some of these regulations. The thing that was disconcerting, though, was that we got a report from someone that indicated that China's central government had actually ordered its magistrates in the smaller towns in the different areas of the provinces to monitor and count Christians, so, like actually get uh, names and count the the heads of people who claim that they believe in God uh, and just keep an eye on those people. Um, and, you know, that sounds like a lot. And so it doesn't sound like it might be entirely plausible, but appears to actually be true. According to our partner, Asian Access, that's actually what they're hearing from the church leaders that they've been empowering. And um, it's not just limited to Christianity. It is also including like Buddhism and Taoism and in some areas, uh, Islam. So it's also scoping, it's spanning the scope of um, the Catholics and the Protestants and and an intense focus particularly on the underground church. A lot of it is just because um, the central government really wants to know 
what its people are doing, especially in light of what's been happening in Hong Kong with the protests. They want to be able to keep track of a body, a large body with a shared ideology that may not be communism, uh, because if they should decide to mobilize, you've got a, a, a direct threat to the power that comes to the central government. Um, and so that's why they're they're really trying to keep track of what's going on. You're hearing more about uh, the facial the facial recognition software and and being able to to keep tabs on people that way, um, bugging the cell phones and all of that kind of stuff. That all exists. It is true. Um, and and what the partners that we have are saying uh, is that really they're going to have to uh, empower the body of Christ to be able to do ministry on their own. Um, it's been a thing that's been happening anyway, but now that that pressure is coming to bear and you really feel like that, that window of opportunity for any outside assistance or any outside mentoring is going to be uh, closing soon. And so um, Asian Access is saying this whole effort at cynicism, which is to make all elements of, Ch uh, of society more Chinese, uh, is going to really change the face of how uh, believers are going to come together, uh, how to do body life. Um, so they're they're basically saying church leaders are going to be adapting. And there's some creative ways that uh, some church leaders have been actually trying to adapt to some of these new challenges of not being able to gather in their large churches and really looking more at smaller gatherings, much, much smaller, much more individualized, less teaching pastors and more mission pastors. So one of the things that uh, I, folks have asked about the protests in Hong Kong that that I think uh, it dovetails into this conversation. People have asked, you know, why is everybody like trying to uh, kind of look the same? Like, right, everybody's trying to wear black shirts. They're they're wearing masks on their faces and they're carrying umbrellas over their heads. A huge part of that is to prevent the Chinese government from being able to identify individuals who are participating in the protest. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Um, and, and, you know, there is a legitimate concern from Hong Kong, the young people especially, uh, that uh, it, it, this whole thing started. I mean, you guys have covered this. This whole thing started with the extradition legislation and has moved on to the issue of autonomy. And these young people have never been under uh, China's rule as their parents had been, as their grandparents have been. Um, and so they are very concerned about what might actually happen with their freedom and things like that. And and that's what's led to so much of uh, so many days of these protests. Uh, you know, these are young people. They're students. It's very similar to what happened with Tiananmen Square, where you had mm -hmm. young students who were coming out and saying, I don't feel this is right and this is not the future I want. And they were coming out to, to protest and then the government cracked down. The concern is right now, what is China going to do in response to these uh, these protests? Now, Hong Kong's economy is starting to feel it, and you've got um, billionaires who are coming out and encouraging the end of the protest because it's starting to hit them in the wallet. Uh, and also, you know, there's concern because you've got these, these paramilitary forces that are Chinese who are openly running drills in areas that are in full sight of where the protesters are. And so, you know, really what the, the this is all coming down to say, um, all right, we're going to tolerate this a little bit longer and then we're going to crack down. And everybody's just sort of wondering what the crackdown is going to look like and how that's going to change anything in terms of this discussion that the, the protesters are trying to have uh, with the Chinese government. 
So there is a uh, there is a war going on that a lot of people uh, listening may not know about. When we come back from the break, uh, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News is going to share with us what Compassion International and local churches are doing, um, waging war on cyber sex trafficking of children, specifically in the Philippines. And so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Returning to my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about at mnnonline.org. You can also follow them on Twitter, MNN Team. Um, Ruth, let's let's talk about what's going on in the Philippines. I, I I know that people who are listening are familiar with the concept of human trafficking. They're also familiar with the concept of sex trafficking. Horrifically, we're also familiar with the concept of child sex trafficking. Um, many of us are are aware that the Internet is used for such purposes, but I think few people are aware of just how uh, horrifically widespread this problem is and the targeting of uh, the world's most vulnerable children um, in this in this cyber sex trafficking in the Philippines. So so although I know this is a really sensitive subject and if you've got if you've got list, little listening ears on the way to school, this may be something you want to return to on the podcast, which you can get later at MyFaithRadio.com. Ruth, tell us what's going on. Well, the issue with, with having a, a I, I, I don't know how to even describe this, the reason you would even have children in this situation is usually due to some kind of poverty, like the parents can't afford to feed their children. And the earning potential of um, being involved with cyber sex trafficking is enormous, um, especially in the Philippines. And and you've got the poverty levels that are so high uh, and parents that can't afford to take care of their children that they sell their children into an industry like this. Um, another part of the, the, the issue is that uh, the Philippines is largely an English-speaking country, so they have a lot of very uh, accessible kinds of um, avenues for the people who are going to purvey this. Uh, there, are, It's easy to pay for things. There's lots of internet cafes, even the remote provinces. So it's just kind of all of these things that are um, in place that make it very easy for this kind of issue to thrive. Um, and that's why Compassion International is really taking a stand against this because they're really trying to see a, uh, a community transformed by the hope of Christ. And this this kind of stuff breaks their heart. Um, you know, they partner with local churches and global ministries to kind of try to change those kinds of vulnerabilities so that you have fewer kids that are being dragged into this or fewer kids that are being sold into it or just changing the discussion even in a community so that parents won't do this with their kids. Um, you know, it, it's an, an issue that has been very troublesome for church partners that are in some of these other Asian countries that are also known for um issues of cyber sex trafficking and and compassion has been teaming up with <clears throat> excuse me teaming up with ministries like international justice mission and world vision to really come alongside and say you don't have to do this if something happens and your kid winds up in a situation like this and you want them out you know we'll be able to help you as, as far as the resources can go if we need to uh step in on, on that and that situation and compassion is also saying something as simple as sponsoring a child 
that monthly sponsorship that they that talk so much about um, can make a big difference in whether or not a child winds up getting trafficked in this particular kind of a situation. Just for one thing, letting the traffickers know that this child is loved, known, and has a community, that there are people who are aware of what is happening with this child, um, that there it, there's more than just one pair of eyes on this child, and that um, the parents are being helped along with the, the benefits of the sponsorship that their child's going to school, the child's getting medical care, um, the child is getting fed. And and that those those combinations of, of that combination of uh, response is really helping to change the uh, the dynamic in some of these areas where you would have had uh, a vulnerability to the, the the attractions of the earnings of cyber sex trafficking. Um, it's it's a really ugly discussion because it happens, but I'm really happy that there are ministries like Compassion International that are taking a step forward and re- and offering people like us an opportunity to really speak into a difficult uh, situation. Okay, so there's this, this searchable sponsor a child portion of the Compassion International page. And if, if you go to Compassion.com um, and you, well, if you start at MNN online and you're reading this article about the Philippines, the, the click through there to Compassion International at the end of the article takes you actually to the Philippine specific page um, on Compassion International Sponsor a Child page. And if you scroll down, um, if, you know, if this is breaking your heart and you're saying, I want to make a difference in a child's life, down at the bottom of that page, you can actually choose a child. Like, right, it says, choose me. These little kids, Daniel has been uh, waiting 280 days for a sponsor. Um, Rynell has been waiting 187 days for a sponsor. Jared has been waiting 341 days for somebody to sponsor him. You know, he's only four years old. Um, and, and Warren has been waiting 187 days. Like, right, the, the clock is ticking on these kids' lives. These are, these are families who've already said, I cannot support my child. And if we're genuinely pro-life and we're general, genuinely Christians who are saying to ourselves, um, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ with whom I'm going to spend all of eternity. Let's remind ourselves the Philippines is, is, I mean, if you add the Catholics and the Protestants together, it's like 87% Christian. We're talking about people who are Christians who are in such desperate poverty. They are selling their children um, into things that are actually unspeakable. They're unimaginable. And f- through Compassion International, World Vision, and IGM, you and I can work together to redeem these children from the kinds of situations um, into which just none of us, no human being should ever be forced to live. So, uh, Ruth, thank you for bringing us this specific story today. I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about this Keys for Kids story as well. Again, uh, if you want to know more about this, you can go to mnnonline.org. Tell us about what's happening with Keys for Kids. Well, Keys for Kids just launched a teen devotional series called Unlocked. And uh, in in just talking to church leaders and camp directors and other people in charge of ministry to teenagers, they found that there really wasn't a good program uh, for the high school age student that didn't like uh, talk down to them or um, miss all of the important issues. Um, and so they, they, they recently um, just kind of launched this new series called Unlocked and um, we're tackling some very difficult issues. And one of those issues is on the LGBTQ uh, situations. Um, 
a lot of our young people are coming into contact with that community. Uh, in this particular situation, on August 13th and 14th, Keys for Kids uh, issued a, a, um, this, a devotional um, written by the daughter of a um, well-known politician uh, in, in the West Michigan area. And uh, she kind of detailed some of the struggles she had regarding the same-sex issues. Um, and then her victory through Christ. Um, when you look at these devotionals, it comes with scripture and you can't not read the scripture to put, you know, to, to get, you won't have the context, the proper context of the devotional itself if you don't read the scripture that comes with it. Because the whole point of the devotional is to underscore and illustrate what the scripture is actually teaching. Um, and that's the what Keys for Kids really wants to do with all of these devotional series is really ground young people in the word of God so they understand what it is, how to apply it, and become apologists for their faith. Um, but in so doing, in with addressing this topic, which was a two-part series of just dealing with the issue because so many young people are encountering that, um, they drew fire, not only drew mm -hmm. fire from the LGBTQ side of things, so they're being called bigots because of their stance on scripture and the Bible. They were being uh, um, yelled at by other Christians who were saying, we don't want our kids to know this. We don't believe that this is a situation that's happening. I can't trust you because now you're introducing this stuff. And there was just a lot of um, difficulty for a couple of days where they were drawing fire from both sides. And I think the surprise was that they were drawing fire from the body of Christ for addressing an issue that exists in our fallen world. Um, and, you know, I've read through the, the, the devotional itself, and I think you really do have to look at it in the terms of what the scripture passage is is listed at the beginning so that you understand what the the devotional is trying to illustrate and how to apply the concepts that scripture is talking about yep you guys can check it all out at keysforkids.org uh, ruth kramer is at mnn online that's for mission network news ruth thank you so much for joining us today and bringing us up to date thanks for having me we'll be right back All right, so uh, thank you to all of you who seem to be so interested in the Redemption Muffin recipe. If you email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com, I, uh, I will send you the Redemption Muffin recipe. Um, however, let me warn you, it's still like a chemistry project in process, so it's more at the experimental stage, although today's were pretty tasty. All right, more next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.